0: Hey everyone, Misaligned is back. We are going to be talking all about the Beatles today and Beatlemania. This is part of our. F- fandom season here. So we thought this would be a really great way to start off after our introductory episode that hopefully you listened to last week. And before we get started, though, I just have a few things to cover. Misaligned is part of the Modern Vinyl family of podcasts. You can find all of the shows over at modern-vinyl.com. You can check out shows like Missing Artwork or Pilot Study, and you can just get various different kinds of conversations just from Modern Vinyl Podcasts. So I highly recommend going there and checking out all of the podcasts that the site has to offer. And right now we are going to have you all listen to Wait by Kindling because 6131 Records is sponsoring us again this episode and Megan will tell you a little bit more about them later on. But right now, enjoy Wait. Megan. So we are talking all about Beatlemania today. And, you know, it's interesting because Beatlemania kind of outlived the Beatles in a sense, because it started in 1963 when they started to get really big. And then, you know, they came over to the United States and it (laughs) traveled with them, basically. And the band stopped playing shows in 1966. But Beatlemania just continued on past 1970 when the band broke up. So what do you think it was about the Beatles that just made people go crazy for them?
1: Perhaps it was their appeal to young teenage girls. Perhaps it was the fact that they did stuff that absolutely defined the music industry for years to come. Perhaps it could be their shaggy haircuts that were slightly bowl cut and kind of weird but I guess they're back in style now, (laughs) but we might never know what really spurred the love of the Beatles. Maybe it's just like everyone's love of one direction. They're an import from Britain and clearly doing something better than American artists at the time. (laughs) Now don't get me wrong. The boy band atmosphere is pretty competitive Even though One Direction is no more, the Jonas Brothers are no more, Sync is no more, and the Backstreet Boys are doing a Vegas residency, I believe. But it even goes to show that it's something that will come and go in waves through history. And essentially, the Beatles just kicked it off. And what's also interesting here is that Andy Lothian, a former Scottish music promoter, is the one who claims that he came up with the term beatlemania while speaking as part or while speaking at a concert that took part during their mini tour of Scotland in October of 1963 so it's not something that actually was coined by american audiences surprisingly right clearly you got to fly across the pond to really find the up and coming trends and it wasn't until October 13th of 1963. So give or take six six days, if I'm doing my math right, <laughs> six days for it to really, really kick off. And that's when they were on the London Palladium TV show. And their publicist didn't have to contact the press anymore after that TV appearance. The press were the ones contacting him. And oh my, I'm just reading the early origins off of Wikipedia with (laughs) really good links and citations. So it's not like I'm pulling this out of my butt and I just made the Wikipedia page sound like I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, uh, the interesting thing is that... Reporter Maureen Littman said that after attending a concert that same year, she heard that the arena had cleared away 40 pairs of abandoned knickers from fellow Young Women fans. (laughs) So uh, for you Americans out there that probably think that knickers are like shorts and stuff, basically, it's what they refer to as underwear in the UK. And that's a little weird to me. It
0: is, and I think it's something that's common with like big rock stars too, like the Rolling Stones and all of those other British invasion bands, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I was just about to say is this what spurned the women and teenagers literally throwing their bras on stage? Like, how did it go from underwear to bras? I don't really know. <laughs> To be honest, (laughs) why don't we think of this on the bright side? Um, Okay, yes, it's very gross to throw your underwear at a band. Please don't do that. For the love of everything good, it just doesn't sound sanitary unless you are carrying a pair in your pocket for some reason (laughs) and want to throw a clean pair. But anyway, at least in the 60s and when Beatlemania first took off, the thong wasn't in style. I mean, those things can really be used as slingshots, so it's kind of entertaining. But at the same time, let's just be glad that these are, like, the full coverage underwear being tossed (laughs) up. Now that we've had our little history lesson, in
0: 1964,
1: yeah, like, your uncommon history lesson. (laughs) Or is Mr. Peabody and Sherman when we need them. But in 1964, in February, so about... Four months, roughly, after the initial coinage of Beatlemania, the Beatles arrived at JFK Airport in New York, and fans were already, like, enamored with the band when they arrived in New York, but they became even more, like, they literally just got bigger. Right.
0: It, like, exploded once they got here, and then they had a performance on
1: the ed sullivan show and that was not one performance three three editions of the ed sullivan show that same month right and it looks like 73 million people watched their february 9th appearance like i can't even imagine 73 million people watching something today like do we really have those numbers anymore for concert shows or anything like that I highly doubt that simply
0: because everything is like available on YouTube these days. So you might see a YouTube video here and there of a live performance that kind of skyrockets in the views there. But still, I don't think anything really gets that high. And I think it's because too, with something like YouTube, you can have like a bunch of people uploading the same performance. So then the views aren't, really collectively under one video it's like you have to go find all of the videos and be like okay which is the official one and which are all these knockoff ones and I know YouTube is getting better at sort of protecting copyright and everything like that when it comes to performances and people's songs in general but it's still very difficult to find numbers like that in the day and age of
1: everything being
0: available on the internet whenever someone wants it.
1: (laughs) That's true, too. And we also have the Beatles to thank for screaming at concerts, like that high-pitched, shrill, just... Ah. Notice how that's a quiet scream, because I'm not going to yell at everybody's ears on this podcast. Certainly not Deanna's while I record, but that sort of thing. Because of the Beatles, that's what also spurned people doing that at concerts. And I mean, it's 2018, People have been doing this for over 50 years now at concerts, and they still do when they see older artists. Like, it's not uncommon to see someone's grandma screaming at the top of her lungs for a popular artist. Yeah, I've never
0: been one to scream at concerts or anything like that. I feel like I would rarely even scream on like roller coaster rides where it's fairly acceptable to do that. But I I don't know. I've just never been a screaming kind of person. Is that something you do depending on the artist?
1: Depending on the artist. I do a lot more shouting and like singing along than I do screaming. But I'm also the type of person that will shout woo. (laughs) <laughs> a much more excited enthusiastic woo uh, <laughs> at shows if it's appropriate like if i'm in a small room i'm not going to be like yeah you rock and be that person that everybody <laughs> secretly wants to punch in the face uh it's it, yes it's I, I don't know screaming if it's for a pop star i could see that more like when right. i saw justin timberlake a few months ago, I screamed for him because I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm actually seeing him. This is amazing. Life is wonderful. Everything is perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm fairly convinced I just don't know how to scream because I don't recall ever screaming at anything ever. So,
1: <laughs> I think I going through a metalcore phase helped me too. you know, just <laughs> developing that deep growl. But anyway, Um Back to the Beatles. Yes. (laughs) I don't think there's been anything that really has swept the American nation as much as Beatlemania. In the nine days that they were here in the States initially in uh, 1964, Americans had bought more than 2 million Beatles records. So in nine days, 2 million records are sold. That in the 60s was pretty significant that number today would still be pretty significant because I think artists like Adele and Taylor Swift are some of the few that can actually sell upwards of a million plus. And the other interesting thing is that more than $2.5 million of US dollars were spent on Beatles merch. That's a lot back then, too. That is a lot. That's an
0: insane
1: amount of money just on
0: merch and stuff.
1: (laughs) It's interesting to see what they spent it on. Like, when we hear the word merch today, we think, oh, t-shirts or records or even little stickers or posters, etc. No. In the 60s, when Beatlemania swept the world, people were buying those blue and white Beatles hats, the t-shirts, and I guess a beach shirt, which would I assume would be a... Button down shirt, maybe that's a Hawaiian shirt.
0: (laughs) That feels like a very American thing for them to do to promote
1: themselves. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm trying to see if I can find an exact figure of how much that would be today. But right. Yes. People were also buying Beatles tight fitting pants, pajamas, three button tennis shirts, which we refer to as polos, I guess, if I'm thinking of the right thing. Yeah. And cookies and all sorts of other things like it's it's ridiculous it was a very different merch time (laughs) for yeah yeah i'd say so let's see if i did this right i just found a little calculator oh my so 2.5 million dollars in 1964 give or take some inflation and i hope saving.org is not letting me down here but it says here that $2.5 million in 1964 equals $19,945,307.44 in this current year.
0: And that's just on merchandise. That's not factoring in ticket sales or no. anything like that either, which ticket sales are obviously going to be your biggest moneymaker for concerts these days, especially concerts like the size of stadium shows, which is what the beatles ended up playing here
1: yeah like they were selling out stadiums they weren't doing small club shows like a lot of the bands we've talked about do on this show these were folks just like with high high very high expectations of how they were going to sell out and why and as time went on as was popular in the 60s they had a movie several movies actually Made with them. And I think they might have had a TV show. I don't know. I know that other bands in that era, like the Monkees, had a TV show. But I don't know if they actually had a TV show. But they did have a very positive impact in the United States alone. And it actually changed the attitudes towards popular music in the States which I think is pretty interesting. You would think artists like Elvis or even some of the early rock and roll legends would have been able to do that. But no, it took a bunch of uh, Brits with shaggy hair (laughs) and what appears to be a unibrow to do that.
0: Yeah. And I do want to note here too, I think I mentioned the British invasion earlier and more of those bands that came over, but really it all started with the Beatles. If the Beatles hadn't been as popular in the States as they were in 1964, I don't know if we necessarily would have had the British invasion on that sort of scale. I don't know if the Rolling Stones would have been quite as big here had they come before the Beatles, or if the Beatles just hadn't come here, you know what I mean? So it's like the Beatles really just brought all of this music to the States. And it's not like, you know, we would never have been able to hear it at any point in history so it's one of those things where it's interesting to see how impactful just this band showing up in the states was
1: true and actually there is a whole article on wikipedia devoted to just the beatles in the united states which goes deeper into what we're talking about right now right uh emi their record company Well, technically, Capitol Records, which was owned by EMI, which was their record company, didn't want to issue any of the band's singles in 1963. The Beatlemania phenomenon was regarded as something amusing by press in America. And what's interesting is that newspaper and magazine articles started to appear towards the end of 1963 about this band, like, hey, maybe this is something we should check out. But... They were citing stuff like the English stereotype of eccentricity, and it's just that the UK was decades behind the United States in getting interest in something that had really just fizzled out in the United States, being rock and roll. So people were writing headlines like The New Madness and Beetlebug Bites Britain, and a lot of writers like to do uh, probably what would be considered a James Cassar level pun (laughs) by today's standards— using wordplay, linking the term "beetle" with like an infestation afflicting the UK as if it was something bad. So it wasn't until quite late 1963 that Capitol was like, fine, we'll release I want to hold your hand. And they had a very large promo campaign because Ed Sullivan was going to have them headline on his show. So, you know, it, it's very just interesting to see that. And oh, right, yes, another interesting little tidbit here. I swear I just saw something about the amount of posters that were used to advertise the Beatles. Ah, yes, here we go. First of all, I Want to Hold Your Hand turned out to be a lot more popular than people thought it was going to be. In under three weeks, it sold one and a half million copies. And the Beatles' visit to the United States was actually advertised across the whole nation on 5 million posters. So we can thank the Beatles for also killing a lot of trees in the 60s. (laughs) But it is interesting to see that the expectation for this particular single, which was catchy and everybody knows this song in several different forms. It's just something that took off like a rocket, like Elon Musk's new rocket. Okay, I'm done.
0: (laughs) I mentioned earlier, too, that they stopped performing live in 1966, and that actually happened in America, too. You know, they came in August of 1964, and then they returned the following two August to have U.S. tours, but apparently in 1966, John Lennon had made some remarks about Christianity, so then there was a big public protest Uh, after that quote was put into a publication. And that was sort of the last tour they did. And then, you know, Beatlemania still continued on after that, though. So, you know, that comment about Christianity didn't, you know, ruin their career by any means, considering, you know,
1: they technically still have a career because people still listen to them. True. But we should actually talk about this remark. John Lennon, ever the controversial figure, be it for his remarks on Christianity or the whole Yoko Ono thing. But he said, we're more popular than Jesus. In an interview in 1966, he tried to argue that Christianity would end before rock music. He then added that Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it that ruins it for me. Obviously, the attitude towards religion in Britain is a lot different than the attitude towards it here. Because it didn't really get any controversy in the UK. It was okay. here in Christian communities because all those little Pearl Clutch and Church ladies in the South were all just disgusted by these comments. And these comments originally came in the Evening Standard. And it wasn't until a U.S. teen magazine, which also helped put in different waves of popularity for different fan bases, Gotta love those teen magazines like (laughs) Tiger Beat and Bop and J-14. And uh, this one was Datebook. It quoted his interview from The Evening Standard five months after it. And, uh, oh, yes, a lot of protests broke out. Where else but the southern United States? Radio stations stopped playing them. People were publicly burning their records. Press conferences got canceled. Oh, and people were threatening them. And, uh, yes, you know you messed up big time when the KKK starts picketing your concerts. So after this whole brouhaha broke, he apologized, saying, if I had said television was more popular than Jesus, I might have got away with it. So he was just remarking on how other people were viewing and popularizing the band, which you can equate Beatlemania as who was sort of feverish, fanatic sort of religion. Right. So I think that's just an interesting little tidbit to throw in there with the rise and fall of Beatlemania. Yeah.
0: It's just interesting that it happened to coincide with them no longer performing live because they could have easily just gone home and continued performing live if they really wanted to. So I don't think it was necessarily even the protesting that made them decide not to perform live anymore, you know, for the rest of their time together as a band. But they definitely changed quite a bit of things throughout their entire discography too you can hear those uh-huh. changes in the albums and everything so i think you know there are more than just there's more than just one factor in why they stopped performing live so it certainly wasn't solely the protest there but before we dive into beatlemania a little more here i know megan you and i have some books and articles and YouTube videos that we want to discuss, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about our sponsor, 6131 Records,
1: which, again, earlier you guys heard the song Wait by Kindling. Yes, 6131 Records, happily sponsors, Misaligned. Right now, they've got a bunch of new shirts and merch at their web store at shop.6131records.com. And they've got some pretty cool restock shirts from Julian Baker, Culture Abuse, and the ever-popular Classic 6131 logo tee. The logo tees and Julian's tees are printed on next-level apparel, and they are super soft and comfortable. As someone who owns one of these tees, I can highly testify about how comfy they are. If I could wear it every day... I'm kind of jealous you have one, and I do not. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what? I should fix that. I know. You should. They have a black one on the website right now, actually. But if you're feeling a bit of FOMO and would like to purchase something from the 6131 web store, they're offering the listeners a discount. Use MV10 for 10% off your next order on 6131 apparel and releases. So if you use this last week, I'm sorry, but you can't use it again. And you do have to spend $10 or more. No cheating. (laughs) No. And back in October, Sammy Lanzetta released her For Avery EP, which we've been raving about and buzzing about. And in November, Hush by Kindling was put out. A lot of their artists are out touring right now. And I know that Sammy just performed in Richmond earlier this week. So it's the 15th. I saw her that Monday and she killed it. So if you get a chance to see any of the 6131 artists, which technically includes Julian Baker, Culture Abuse, Suburban Living, Kinling, go see them. You won't regret it. And for more information on any of the 6131 bands or for more tour dates, please visit 6131records.com.
0: Yes, definitely do that. And some of those articles and everything that I mentioned, we are going to talk about those now. And one that I saw pop up was actually from their 50th anniversary, which was back in 2014, because... It spurred a lot of articles and coverage of the Beatles again in general. And one of the ones that stood out to me, it's not really an article, it's sort of just images that really capture Beatlemania. And we'll have a link to this in the show notes so you can all take a look at it. But it's just one of those things where, you know, they were taking pictures of everything. There's pictures of the Beatles getting off their plane of them walking down the street, getting ready for a concert, and, you know, cops just having to hold off mobs of people because they want to see the Beatles and, you know, like, touch their hand and
1: everything like that. Oh, my gosh. And there's people crawling into the baggage conveyor belt. Yes. At <laughs> yeah. Like, that's how yeah. fervent fans were. They thought that they could actually get access to their idols by crawling into the baggage claim area. It's so
0: wild. I know you mentioned earlier, Megan, that a lot of the girls would have these sort of shrill screams that they would do when they would see the Beatles. But it wasn't just the women who were clamoring over the Beatles. You know, you look at these pictures and you see plenty of men in the audience as well. So it wasn't, you know, strictly women going to these concerts. And then, you know, they have a picture with Muhammad Ali.
1: That's one of my favorite photos, I have to say.
0: Yeah, it just spans so far. The band's
1: (laughs) expression, his expression, it's something I think I could see my brother pulling, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: so, you know, just definitely take a look at this article because, you know, like I said, it's not a lot of reading. There's captions to let you know what is going on and when the picture was taken and everything like that. But it's definitely worth looking at.
1: Oh, they did have a television show. Okay. Yeah, because there's photos when they're dressed like a... People from the, I don't know what era, but they're wearing frilly Shakespearean collars and tights and medieval era. There we go. Yeah. That's the era I'm thinking of.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't surprise me one bit that they ended up having their own TV show. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. They kind of did everything back then.
1: (laughs) They really did. In fact, they were even suspended in midair above the stage when they were rehearsing for Night of a Hundred Stars that took place in 1964 at the Palladium in London. So, I mean, these guys technically flew. And in America, you see teenage girls, like, crying and screaming over the fact, like, just, it's it's mass hysteria. In fact, yeah. one of the captions says, despite a constant din of screaming teenagers. Oh, and then there's also a picture, <laughs> a very classic, very dad photo where a man is covering his ears while smoking a pipe and sitting in the Hollywood Bowl, surrounded by 18,000 fans just screaming. Like, if this doesn't sum up dads taking their daughters to concerts, I don't know what does. Like, it's literally the poster for, oh, no, I don't want to take my daughter to see this band that's so popular. This is going to be a (laughs) disaster.
0: And they literally have a picture of... Ringo Starr eating an apple. That is how far this obsession went. Like People wanted to see what they were eating.
1: (laughs) Well, true, but there was something associated with Apple and the Beatles, because I know some of the CDs that I have from them, like the remastered White album, has a little Apple. Oh, it has to do
0: with uh, the record label.
1: Yes, it's Apple Records. So it could be just a little quirky reference to Apple Records, which... Was basically dominated by the Beatles. Uh, well, in the mid '70s, it was dominated by releases from former Beatles as solo artists. So, yeah, it was founded in 1968. So well after, and they got into it with Apple here the tech yes. company so that that's a whole other
0: story though not related necessarily to beatlemania but that's you know legal
1: issues and why it took forever to get them on uh, streaming <laughs> sites as well
0: well yes there is that and you know i'm also going to link to a video in here too if you want to see beatlemania in action basically cbs news posted a video For the 50th anniversary, too, that just sort of showed how crazy excited the fans would get, and you know, how everyone was just running around and wanting to be where the Beatles were. So, it gives you a really good look at everything that came with Beatlemania, and you know, they have clips of people talking and everything like that. So, it's definitely worth watching. It's only about a three minute video, so it won't take too much of your time, but. Megan, I know you have a book that you want to talk about because, as always, we love talking about Rob Sheffield on this podcast.
1: Oh, we do. But I actually do want to touch upon something before I talk about the book. Go for it. We're talking about Beatlemania. This was one of the first times that we'd seen the word mania used in relation to a band. This obviously took off. In the 70s, a similar phenomenon rolled across the world. For the Scottish band Bay City Rollers. Can I name one of their hits? No. In the 80s, Menudo mania was just the term used for the frenzy around that boy band. And Menudo, I believe, is also a Spanish dish. So I'm talking about the band. Like the Beatles, Menudo was also a boy band. But this was a Latino boy band formed in the 70s. And I do believe, yes... Ricky Martin got his start in Menudo. And I think that's a fun thing to mention here, that Ricky Martin got a start in a boy band that had a mania in their – anyway. <laughs> and in the 1990s, Spice Mania wept the n- – wept the nation. Spice Mania swept the nation. Probably also wept Spice the Girls. nation at some point, too. <laughs> yes, we were all weeping at some point over the Spice Girls. I I know I was weeping – With the feelings of Spice Mania coming back after them reuniting for their 20th anniversary. I'm just like, what? Anyway, the Mania is also used after sports figures. So Eagles Mania just swept the nation because they won the Super Bowl. Cubs Mania swept the nation after the Cubs won won the World Series. And, of course, there's also WrestleMania, which might be one of the more popular blank mania terms in today's society because we've got Hulkamania during Hulk Hogan's wrestling career and then the WWE program Wrestlemania which just celebrated some sort of milestone I caught some highlights but yeah I think it's fun to talk about that that it doesn't just apply to music artists and to bands it applies to sports figures as well and some elements of pop culture So I think the WrestleMania would actually be the 2000s answer to Spice Mania in the 90s, Menudo Mania in the 80s, Roller Mania in the 70s, and obviously Beatle Mania in the 60s.
0: Yeah, and I know the book you want to discuss a little here is Dreaming the Beatles by Rob Sheffield. And because we've covered him before on this podcast, I know you and I were talking about having this as a potential book club episode but then we ended up switching to the seasonal format so our book choices have been trying to fit with the theme of the season and we actually have a different pick this season but this probably could have made the list
1: this would have been a good one but while we're talking books i should use this as a brief uh, intermission to let y'all know that our book pick for this month is well for this season rather is You Don't Know Me, But You Don't Like Me, Fish, Insane Clown Posse, and My Misadventures with Two of Music's Most Maligned Tribes. The book is written by Nathan Rabin, who is a head writer for the AV Club. And let's see, it came out not too long ago, actually. It came out in 2013, so it's still fairly recent. It is a very interesting read with two completely different bands and their fan bases. I'm sure there's a term for juggalo mania for all the feverish uh, juggalos and juggalettes out there and all the fish heads who love Trey Anastasio and fish. So you can check that out. We're reading it. We enjoy it so far. And the book is actually brightly colored. So you can't miss it if you misplace it. Well, I don't know if enjoy is the word I'll be using when we discuss
0: it, but it'll it'll be an interesting conversation. That's for sure.
1: Oh, that's gonna be a great conversation. I can't wait for it. But yes, Dreaming the Beatles by Rob Sheffield is actually his newest book. It came out last year. So in 2017. And it's just it kind of is like on bowie which was a book club pick for us it describes not only the history of the band but some cultural elements of the band and why they were so popular without beating a dead horse of note uh spin actually did a review of it in may of last year so jeremy gordon wrote that the fab four are the quote beloved patron saints of white parents across the world I think this is also something to take into consideration when we talk about just the extent of Beatlemania. It was primarily a white-dominated scene. And it's very interesting because in all the pictures that we've seen with the Beatles, you rarely see anyone of color. And really, if you were growing up, your parents, if you were white, they definitely heard of the Beatles. They definitely loved it. I know that a lot of 20-somethings right now have parents that were born right during the wave of Beatlemania. But if you look at people of color, it's a little bit of a different cultural phenomenon. And, of course, it also says here, one factor in the intensity of Beatlemania would be the post-World War II baby boom. So Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley had less fans than the beatles or rather a larger audience or they had a smaller audience than the beatles had and it it, it's really interesting to see this from like a cultural lens because to middle-class white people they were seen as less sleazy than elvis in his provocative hip shaking oh no because they wore nice clean presentable suits These were guys that dressed up nicely. And of course, as time goes on, they did experiment with drugs. And you can see that in their uh, discography. Right. Shout out to all those drug allegories in later albums that actually are pretty good. (laughs) But it is something that they could technically be seen as like someone that white people worshipped. Going back to the quote that John Lennon said, where he thought that they were essentially bigger than Jesus. But right. The book is more of a fresh take about the Beatles and it really doesn't beat the dead horse of, oh my God, Beatlemania. We have so many books about Beatlemania. Why don't we just, it's one of those things. And Sheffield's writing is fantastic at it. I read it last summer and it's a fun read. I would highly recommend it if you haven't read it yet because it's something different. And it's really just, I don't know, it's something that kept my attention, because there were also some weird, quirky things in it. Like, um, it says here in the Spin article, a chapter on strawberry fields forever. It begins with an anecdote from the seemingly non-Beatles-esque Ozzy Osbourne about why he loved that song, followed by a few pages, uh, biographical pages, rather, on how the song was written. And... Sheffield writes that the time alone in Spain forced John Lennon to confront feelings he usually kept at bay, and the song that spilled out was so strong, not even he could make light of it or treat it as a joke. Upon playing it for the rest of the Beatles, there was a moment of stunned silence before McCartney supposedly replied, that is absolutely brilliant. That's my terrible semi-impression of a British accent. I'm sorry. (laughs) So it also gets into the rivalry that many saw between John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Yeah, I
0: definitely have this on my list of books to read. I am checking my library for it at this very moment. I checked it out at my library and it was great. Looks like they have it. So you know, when I go return the three books that I have checked out at the moment, maybe I'll pick that up. And hopefully, just that because I have so many books to read so many books story of our lives, right, Megan?
1: Oh, I've got so many right now. I don't even wanna mention how many I have, but
0: I'm pretty sure on Goodreads I literally have like over three hundred books in my like want to read list. <laughs> it's a
1: little embarrassing how many books I have um right now from the library, including a great book that was just fairly recent. Your Band Sucks by John Fine. Oh, I haven't it's one heard of my that most one. recent reads. Oh, it's really good. Okay You'll probably like it. Yeah. And in typical misaligned fashion, here we are going on another tangent.
0: That's literally what I was just going to say. So
1: why don't we go ahead
0: and go into our recommendations? I think we've definitely summed up what Beatlemania was. And I feel like most people at least are aware that Beatlemania was a thing. Whether or not they know a whole lot
1: about it is another story. And I'm sure some people were even conceived in the height of Beatlemania. So I bet that's a fun story to hear. Yeah, uh huh, you were conceived while we were listening to, say, I don't know, Penny Lane or something like that. Oh, that'd be so awful. Kind of squicked out. Anyway, my recommendations this week, the Black Panther soundtrack is out and it's amazing fantastic yes the reviews for the movie are great I'm looking forward to seeing it but the soundtrack was curated by Kendrick Lamar and features artists like Khalid SZA Travis Scott and some up-and-coming people in the hip-hop world there's also someone that sings in uh, forget what African language it is off the top of my head but there's some of that as well and I just made myself sound really culturally ignorant great but no it's fantastic and It's one of the best movie soundtracks I've heard from a superhero movie in a long time. Like, probably since, I don't know, the Spider-Man era when Dashboard Confessional was on (laughs) the soundtrack. And that was like, what, Spider-Man
0: 2 (laughs) or something like that? I don't know. I don't know. It
1: was one of the first runs that they did with uh, Tobey Maguire. With uh, Vindicated was the Dashboard song I'm thinking of. Yeah. As I hit my mic. So... I'm just going to keep my hand away from my mic now <laughs> and give you my second recommendation, which was just streaming on NPR's First Listen. It is I'm With Hers, See You Around, which is also one of my most anticipated albums for 2018. The trio of Aoife O'Donovan, Sarah Jarose, and Sarah Watkins come together to make some folk harmony magic. Seeing them live, they're actually out touring now. Oh, it's wonderful. Nice. I
0: I will definitely second your Black Panther soundtrack recommendation. I think it's everything that accompanying music for a movie should be because I'm not entirely sure if all of these songs are in the movie itself or if it's just meant as sort of an extra thing for the movie because as far as I know, the movie isn't rated R and this album would definitely make it rated R. Oh,
1: (laughs) yeah. You know what? I'm very interested to see the reception of this because the soundtrack, it technically, it might be one of the first parental advisory Disney albums I've ever seen since Disney Maybe, does have yeah. the Marvel Universe.
0: Well, they did do a Luke Cage soundtrack. So I think this really builds on that, too, because I don't recall a bunch of the songs that they had in The season of Luke Cage on Netflix, but because it's on Netflix, they have a little more leeway with all the things you can say on a Netflix show versus a network TV show. But it definitely feels like it's building on that because of how culturally important both Luke Cage and Black Panther have been for, especially for Marvel.
1: Right. I mean, if you look at it, this is a movie that a lot of parents will be taking their kids to, especially... Black parents who want their kids to see that, yes, they can be represented. I don't know if they'll be buying the soundtracks knowing that there's a parental advisory on it, because I don't think you want... That'll be a treat for themselves. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you want precocious eight-year-olds listening to the Black Panther soundtrack. Yeah, but if you're not an eight-year-old,
0: go ahead and go listen to it, you know?
1: (laughs) It's good.
0: Yeah. So my recommendation is a book I recently read. Surprise, surprise here. And it's So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. Basically, it's just talking about building up skills. And you know, anyone who is in the process of looking for a job or just looking to get better at something should definitely check this book out because it'll give you some rules to follow. And there's definitely just some great advice in
1: there in general. Sounds like a good read.
0: Yeah, it definitely was. It's one of the three library books that I have checked out at the moment, which hopefully will be returned by the time you all hear this, because otherwise they will be overdue or I would have had to renew them. But before we go here, I just want to let you all know that you can find us on Twitter at Miss Pod. You can email us at missalignedpod at gmail.com. If you have you know, any topic ideas for seasons or anything, you maybe want us to see if we can cover in between seasons, because I know between these two seasons, we did have a few episodes there. And if you want to sponsor the podcast, like 6131 Records has been doing here, you can contact advertising at modern finalcom It's very aff- affordable. And like we did with 6131 Records, you will get multiple mentions in the podcast. So you'll usually get one at the top of the episode and then a longer mid read, which is what Megan has been doing. And as always, thank you all for listening. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.